0: He is risen. He is risen indeed. I hope you remember those words. Those have been the greeting for Easter Sunday for 2,000 years now. Today is a day of celebration. I know it's a different day than um, normally how we celebrate Easter because you're probably sitting at home in your pajamas on your sofa, and I am in my home, but I'm here in this suit and talking to the camera right now. But um, I just want you to know that we're praying for you, and we're excited to gather and worship uh, even if we're gathering online, we still can worship Jesus from our hearts. We can unite our hearts together in praise, and we're glad that you've chosen to spend Easter with us. Um, if you're a guest, we just want to welcome you in particular. Thank you so much for stopping by, whether you found us by the banner that we have on the corner at the church or just happened to land on our socials or on our website. Uh, glad that you're here. Glad that you are uh, participating, and we'd love to talk to you more. If you have any questions or any needs or any prayer requests, if you have any uh, interaction with me that you want, you can just reach out directly to me, Robert B. at RHChurches.com. You can find all kinds of things on our website, www.RedemptionHC.com. And uh, on there you'll find a, a guest card, a, a connection card that we normally have in the service. Uh, you can use those at any point just to let us know that you're connecting with us and we can connect back. We, we promise we won't uh, harass you or anything, but we'd love to know that you're connecting. Uh, please let us know if there's any way we can be praying for you or your family. We pray that you will have a very, very blessed Easter and just invite you to enjoy
1: and worship during this morning's service. Good morning everyone, um, and happy Easter. My name is Alex Howdige, and I wanted to share something with you that was on my heart. Um, I wanted to share with you Psalm 46, one through three. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. These verses have been really important for um, my family and I during these really trying times. Um, they've come up a lot, and so they actually have um, uh, really enriched our, our time together. Um, uh, it's, it, it, it happened uh, when uh, we uh, watched uh, Children's Church and Grace Birding uh, shared these verses, but she shared them in a song. And uh, my four-year-old and my 13-year-old we're really excited, and they were singing along, and, um, and we loved it. Well, uh, a week later, I was reading in my devotions, and uh, this, these verses came up again, and I wanted to share them with my family. As I was sharing them with my family, my four-year-old says, Oh, it's like the song, and he started singing the song that Grace had taught us in children's church. And so I thought, this is God's you know, giving these verses to us for, for, for a reason, And so I wanna share with you some thoughts about that. So first of all, God has been our refuge. We have been praying together as a family. We have been talking about God's ultimate protection, how we can trust him, how he will take care of us during these times. Um, He's our refuge in, you know, we don't have school right now, we don't have work. And so it's a time just to really think about how God is working in our lives. Um, he is our refuge in uh, the fact that I or uh, my family members have you know, between five to seven Zoom meetings a day. And so he's given us grace for that and been our refuge. Um, he's also been our refuge in trying to stick to a schedule. Um, and it's really hard with four people in a small house. Also grace in helping my wife and I um, with a four and a 13-year-old. Just trying to help us navigate through this difficult time um, with children. Um, 24-7 God has also been our strength Um, My wife's mother uh, uh, Lives up north And they called us about two weeks ago And said that she had had a stroke So we were very upset um, And we called and she was in the hospital And we were praying And um, you know Two, three hours later uh, They gave her a bunch of tests And she came out of the hospital With a clean bill of health And so we were just so encouraged by that Um, Also, God has been our strength because my parents live real close by to us and they are both ill and so we have had to serve them a lot. Uh, We have had to um, get meals for them, we have had to um, get medications for them, we have had to just be there for them. So just going in and out of the house and God has just given us strength for that. He's also given us strength when we heard uh, the sad news that we were not going to be able to minister for the Ecuador 2020 missions trip when it was canceled. Although it was canceled because, I mean, it, we, it, it, Ecuador closed its borders, we were still sad that we were not able to, to be the translators for the, the high school team. But in that, God still gave us strength in knowing that, you know, th- there's hope and that we might be able to go later. Um, God has also given us uh, strength with how to parent two children who are not getting along. He's also given grace to my wife and I as we find out how to better serve each other, how to be kinder to each other, how to listen better to each other. Um, Actually, a couple nights ago, we were reading these verses, and we paraphrased Psalm 46, 2 and 3, and I'd like to share that with you. So So we wrote together, Therefore, we will not fear... Though our patience gives way, though all our plans be moved into the heart of summer, though our children roar and foam, though we tremble at the next update, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And we want you to know that we love you and that we're praying for you. And uh, we want these verses just to to really stick to you guys and, and just to be an encouragement that God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. And we want to wish you a a happy Easter and just say, he is risen, he is risen indeed. Arthur Miller,
0: who was a great playwright and one time was married to the actress Marilyn Monroe in his memoirs, wrote about her kind of spiral downward into depression and despair and drug addiction. And um, the doctor had come one night and given her some medication that allowed her to sleep. And he was looking down at her um, just with a broken heart. And he said this, he said, I found myself um, straining to believe in miracles. I longed for her to wake up and for me to be able to look her in the eye and say, it's okay, honey, God loves you. And for her to be able to believe me how I wish she still had her religion, and I still had mine. It's a sad story about a time of despair, but it is looking in the right direction, saying, you know, there are times when everything else is stripped away, and we realize if there's any hope, it's found in God. Now, for Arthur Miller and for um, Marilyn Monroe, that hope really seemed more fantasy, distant, and they weren't able to embrace it, and... Marilyn's life ended tragically. It's very sad. But there is actual hope. There's real hope in God. Um, This is a time when we long for hope. This is a time when things are hard. We're having this service online because we can't be together. You're probably... Uh, sitting with your family, and you're going to be doing that tomorrow, and you're going to be doing that the next day, and the next day after that. And you've been doing that for weeks now, and we don't know when we're going to get out, and and we don't know what's going to happen to the economy, but we know it's not going to be good. And maybe you have a business, or maybe you've already lost your job, or maybe somebody's sick, or you're worried you're going to get sick, or there's all these issues that come up, and then there's issues that come out of that, the loneliness and the the, the discouragement, and just the frustration, the longing to get out. And then we find ourselves in close quarters with our family and what we thought was an ideal family maybe isn't quite so much. And it starts to rub on us. And at all different levels from irritation and uh, discouragement to sometimes even the level of, of, of despair, we have this challenge that we're facing right now. And it's a time for us to remember hope. Because Easter is ultimately a statement of hope. And it's hope that that God offers. It's not a wishful thinking that maybe something will turn out, maybe it'll be okay, kind of um, roll of the dice that you can't count on. When God talks about hope, He means something that's absolutely certain. It's just not yet in my possession. And Easter is the ultimate anchor for actual hope. And what I want us to look at is I want to look us, us to look at Romans 1. So if you have a Bible, would you open it to Romans 1? And I want us to look at how that hope actually works because it's counterintuitive. First, we have to shift our perspective before we can be lined up to actually embrace what that hope is and how that hope is offered. And it's, um, it's actually shown pretty simply in these few verses in Romans chapter 1, where it says, verse 1, Paul a servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son who is descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in the power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead Jesus Christ our lord through whom we have received grace and then he goes on from there Paul's describing his own experience. He's anchoring what is actually uh, widely regarded as the greatest theological document, the greatest theological treatise ever written. He's writing about the hope that we have because of who Jesus is and who Jesus was and what Jesus does and what Jesus did and how all that works and how God planned that out and how that changes everything about our lives, even in the midst of a world where it's not yet completely Transformed, And so we live in this tension of a broken world and still trying to walk in a new life. And, and he writes all about that in the book of Romans. It's an amazing book, and it all anchors in the reality that um, I know this is true because Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is the son of God. I know that because he was powerfully raised from the dead. Jesus is Lord. I know that because he was powerfully raised from the dead. Paul didn't always see it that way. There's a huge transformation that took place. And he was able to embrace that hope because he let go of some other things first. And we'll see that in this text. And the way I'd like to give it to you this morning is in a single phrase with two parts. Um, Hope comes when I realize Jesus is not on my side. That may sound counterintuitive, but it's actually one of the most helpful things I can learn. Hope comes when I realize that Jesus is not on my side, but that Jesus is totally for me. There's a difference between him being for me and him being on my side And a lot of people miss that and a lot of people stumble and agendas get in the way of actually knowing and embracing and experiencing God because I haven't learned the distinction between God on my side and God for me. And it's clear in this passage that that's foundational, right? Look at the words here in the first few words of, of verse four, he was declared to be the Son of God, right? He, he, he looked like everyone else when he showed up on earth. He was born, um, grew up as a normal-seeming child, uh, lived a very human life. Um, he was a charismatic teacher and leader. He did miraculous things. He loved well. He challenged the status quo. I mean, he was, he was not milk toast. He was not somebody you easily ignored. He was somebody, whenever he showed up, everyone knew he was there, but he looked and seemed very human. And the question that centered around his life when he was challenging the status quo, when he was teaching things and saying dramatic things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the bread of life. Um, I have come to give you life to the full, those kinds of statements people were saying, how how do we know that? I mean, you're impressive enough, but what gives you the right? When you kick people out of the temple, what gave you the right to do that? When you say, I I can forgive your sins, your sins are forgiven, who do you think you are? And he was challenged multiple times, um, over and over again in fact, and he did give an answer More than once. He said, if you want to know my credentials, it's this. You kill me, and I'll come back to life. That will show you that I am different than anyone else. And if I'm different than anyone else, then the things that I'm saying are true, and they matter. And they're what you need to focus on. So when Paul comes to writing his great treatise on on what God has done, he anchors it with this. Jesus was declared to be the Son of God. It was made obvious. He's the Son of God because he was raised from the dead with power. Nobody else has been raised from the dead. Jesus was raised from the dead powerfully after he told us he'd be raised from the dead. That's why he's also Lord. And if you look at those words, those kind of power, um, majesty words, Son of God, power, Lord, that are used about Jesus... That's where we get the idea that um, the hope that Easter brings actually starts with me understanding that Jesus isn't on my side. He's God. He isn't going to fall in line and fulfill my agenda. He's Lord. And that's maybe counterintuitive, but it's super important. Because until I deal with that question, I'm always going to try to make God fit my mold. And I'm always going to be frustrated when he's not doing what I want. And, and I'm going to miss the things that he is doing. And I'm going to struggle. And I'm going to miss out on the relationship that he offers. Because he doesn't give away his right to be Lord or God. In fact, there's a story in the Old Testament, one of my favorites, where he's speaking to one of his key leaders. Somebody who he loves dearly, who's very faithful. And uh, it's Joshua. He's, he's scoping out the city of Jericho for a, a potential battle coming up. And he comes across the angel of the Lord there. And he, he just looks like a man. Doesn't know that God's taken this angelic form and come to earth. And, and so he says, uh, are you with us? Or are you with the enemy? Whose side are you on? And the angel answers, no. No, I'm not on your side And no, I'm not on their side. I'm the captain of the Lord's armies. The hope that comes from a relationship with God starts with letting him be God. Realizing he hasn't come to fulfill my agenda. He hasn't come to fulfill my hopes. It's instead saying, what hope have you come to bring and let me embrace that. Jesus was actually crucified because of this dynamic. When he showed up, There were all kinds of groups around. Paul was part of one of the groups. And his transformation says that at least some got it, but not until after Jesus rose from the dead. But the different groups were all divided and struggling and wrestling with each other. Much like things in our country, a lot of animosity, a lot of struggle, a lot of disagreement. And so when an important person comes on the scene, somebody starts making waves, everyone wants to find out where he fits on their little mental map. Are you for us? Are you for our enemies? Are you on my side? Are you gonna fall in line and further my agenda? And Jesus says no. And that's what gets him killed. In fact, he challenges their agenda. He challenges their side. Because he's not on anyone's side, he comes as God. He is God. The resurrection shows that. And the starting point for my hope is is learning that I'm accountable to him, not the other way around. One of the things that's so fascinating about this passage is actually the very opening. Shocking words if you have the eyes to see it. Look back in verse 1, it says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Now, that should just stop us in our tracks. There should be no way that could be true. Those are stunning words because Paul was an opponent of Jesus. He went by the name of Saul of Tarsus. That's the name he was born with. Later changed it to Paul as part of his journey in following Jesus. He was a huge opponent. In fact, he's writing a letter to a friend, and he's talking to the friend about how much he appreciates what Jesus has done and how Jesus has been gracious to him. And in the middle of that, he says, I was a blasphemer. A persecutor and an insolent opponent. I didn't think Jesus was anything. I thought he was a liar. I thought he was a fraud. I thought he was dangerous, and I was doing everything within my power, and I was very zealous. I was doing everything in my power to shut his movement down. And now this passage starts out Paul, a servant of Jesus. What happened? The resurrection. He saw the risen Christ and it caused him to back up and say, whoa, my whole agenda just got tossed out the window. My whole world just got upended because he was doing what he thought was right. He had his, he had his clear pathway forward of what was important and thought God was on board with that, thought God was on his side. And when Jesus speaks out of heaven and says, Paul, stop it, that's not the right thing. Wow, that's stunning. Yeah, actually, in the New Testament... There are 27 letters or books. 15 of them are written by people who either thought Jesus was a liar and a fraud or that he was just crazy out of his mind. Paul was the one who thought he was a liar or fraud until he met the risen Christ. Two of Jesus' own brothers thought he was crazy out of his mind who wrote in the New Testament, the book of James and the book of Jude. um, When Jesus is is teaching and doing his ministry, his brothers come to him and they're, they're just relentless. They're teasing him. They're mocking him. You should go to Jerusalem. Why would you do your stuff here? Because everyone who's anyone is going to be at Jerusalem. And, and you know, really with that kind of tone of voice. And verse 5 ends by saying, for not even his brothers believed in him. James and Jude and the other brothers didn't believe in their brother Jesus. They, they just thought he was a the guy. They, they grew up with him. He can't be all these things that he's representing. He can't speak like that. He has no right to do that. He's embarrassing the family. This is crazy. This is the right direction. And he's not fitting it. He must have gone crazy. We need to take control of him. And in another story, they actually try to do that. They try to shut him down, literally thinking he's lost his mind. And then when Jesus rises from the dead, that all gets changed. It's hard for me to say my brother's crazy, when I saw him die, now I see him alive again. The book of 1 Corinthians says that James is one of the first people to see Jesus alive after he's resurrected. The resurrection of Jesus Christ conquered death for all of us, but it also showed everything he said and everything he did and everything he does now and everything he's about, that's all true and right. And it's rooted in the fact that he is the Son of God and he is Lord, and He has His agenda. My hope comes from starting there, realizing hope comes when I realize Jesus is not on my side, and that's not really the question. It would be foolish, be foolish for me to hope He will fulfill my hopes. My hopes are messed up, right? I don't know all the places they're messed up, but I'm smart enough to know I don't have it all figured out, the things that I would want if God did all those things. Oh, please don't do that, God. That'd be horrible. In fact, so much of the problems that we see in our world today, aren't they rooted in generations of people who pursued their hopes? That's how we got here, right? I don't need God to come and fulfill my hopes. I need Him to come and give me the hope He offers. And I need to embrace that. I don't need him to come and fulfill my agenda. I need him to come and fulfill his and invite me into that. It's ironic, you know, sometimes when things aren't going the way we want, we can grumble or we can complain or sometimes we get mad at God. Um, Sometimes we want to hold him accountable. Um, It's funny that Paul's whole life was trying to hold Jesus accountable until he met Jesus on the road and realized the polarity of accountability flipped. God's not accountable to me, I'm accountable to Him. I'm gonna stand before Him one day. He's the one who rose from the dead. He's the one who's Lord. I need to start there and I need to adjust. I need to fall in line, I need to surrender my own desire to be God. It's, it's, It's ironic that when I pray and ask God to do things, it's easy for me to fall into a pattern if I'm really demanding that He do what I want. If I really expect God to do my agenda, what I'm really saying is, God, I know, I know you created the universe. I know you're the all-wise one. You're the all-powerful one. You made me, and you rule over it all. I want you to rule over it all. I want you to rule over it all in this particular area, especially right now. So rule over it all, except, except don't rule over me. Right? I, want to br- I want you to bring yourself under me and be over everything else. In other words, you be God of the universe, and I'll be your God. Now (laughs) that's the craziest thing in the world to say, but that's actually that's actually how we're treating God when we try to hold him accountable and say he can or can't do something or insist on a particular direction. And the great hope that comes with Easter is we realize Jesus isn't just another teacher who brings wisdom. He's actually God. He's actually in charge, he's actually sovereign, he's actually Lord. So many people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Zealots and all the political parties and the social parties and the religious parties of his days, rejected him because he wouldn't fall in line with their agenda, not realizing that they were trying to dictate to God what he should do and be, and God's, God's not going to do that. He's not going to play that game. So when Jesus rises from the dead, he shows everyone, I told you, I'm the one to concern yourself with. I'm the one to listen to. I'm the one to respond to. I'm the one to bow the knee to. The beginning point of hope and the beginning point of the hope that that we get at Easter time starts with me realizing hope comes when I realize God is not on my side. He's Lord. I'm not. But God is totally for me. That's the second little part of this verse here he was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead and then these words just let these words um mean something not just be a label Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we have received grace because it's his name and title and it shows up so much it's easy to forget what that's saying Jesus that's the name given because he was to be the savior He's the Savior, right? He is the Lord. It's his agenda that drives things, but his agenda is to be for me. His agenda is to rescue me. His agenda is to bless me. His agenda is to draw me into the things that he's doing and let me be a part of them and bless me in that. I'm so grateful that he doesn't bow to my agenda because it would collapse, but his will, his will prevail and he's my Savior. And rising from the dead establishes that. He's the Christ, the one who's promised of old. The one who God had talked about for centuries saying, I'm sending my servant to bring about my will and to rescue you. Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's this personal connection, this personal relationship. It's not just the God of the universe who's fearful and just and that I have to stand before one day. But it's the one who's gone to extremes to draw me into relationship, to rescue me because he loves me and his demeanor towards me is grace. That's the next thing Paul does. He starts talking about the graces God has given him. True hope comes when I realize Jesus is not on my side, but Jesus is totally for me. There's a verse, or several verses, in the book of Romans, later on, verse chapter 8, really important. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, that's Good Friday, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution, famine, nakedness? He goes on and describes all kinds of things, including a lot of suffering that they actually did experience and then he finishes up verse 37 no in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us for i'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of god in christ jesus our lord hope comes when I realized Jesus isn't on my side. He's not small enough to pick my side. He's God. He has his own agenda. But he I get to be on his side. And he is totally for me. He is totally for me. Nothing will ever separate me from his love. And it is his death and resurrection that changed everything. That's how somebody who is an enemy of God could become a friend. That's how somebody who wanted to stamp out the movement that Jesus started could describe himself as Paul a servant of Christ Jesus. That's how brothers who thought their brother was crazy and he was shaming the family could turn around and literally die so that others would know him because they understood God came, God changed everything and he loves us and there's hope in that. So let me ask you a question. Have you embraced God's love? You may have tuned in for whatever reason today. There's a lot more that can be said. just don't have time. But I'd be happy to talk to you personally. We can talk on the phone. You can reach out by email, robertb.rhchurches.com. Love to have a chance to talk to you. Maybe you don't actually have a relationship with God. You, You know that. You're just like, ah. I'm not sure what to do with this whole Jesus thing. I'm not sure what to do with the God thing, but I'm, I'm looking for answers. I'm looking to ask some questions. I'd be happy to talk with you about that. It's true. You and I are accountable to him. He's not accountable to us. And it's true, he's not here to fulfill our hopes, accomplish our agenda. We're accountable to his. But if we surrender and trust him, he can change everything. And some of you may be here and you're his followers, I just encourage you to lean into his love today of all days. He is risen. He is risen indeed. May God bless you.